0: This morning, we have another installment in our Power of a Promise sermon series, which also ties back into our last sermon series on covenant. We'll hear in the scripture readings this morning that God made a promise through the prophet Isaiah of a child who would bring endless peace. Christians understand this promise as being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But people in Isaiah's time expected a mighty king to come. Instead, several centuries later, they unexpectedly got a humble servant who gave his life so that we might have life. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
1: Isaiah 9 through 7, 9, 2 through 7 in Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken, is on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And now from Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The word of the Lord.
0: What does your name mean. I don't know if you've ever given much thought to what your name means or what it says to people when they meet you? I mean what is the expectation that people have when they hear your name? What qualities do they think you might have based on that first impression of hearing your name? What if your name was Hercules? What do you think people might expect then? Or something like Starfire. Something else entirely might be expected. I was thinking about names. Because of that series of names in Isaiah 9, 6, where we hear he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, prince of peace and these might not literally be names for this child but it's still a lot of weighty things to call a child and when we look back we as christians automatically apply this these names to jesus But for the original hearers, Jesus was not at all what they expected when they heard Isaiah's prophecy. Well, what did they expect when they heard Isaiah's prophecy? We can look back to understand this. We can start way, way back, all the way back to Moses and the Israelites as they fled Egypt as slaves, they fled into freedom. And they wandered in the wilderness. They gathered at the base of Mount Sinai where God initiated a covenant with them and gave them ten commandments. And they also had a series of guidelines, code, ethics that they were to live by as part of this covenant that God initiated. And the people answered this covenant by saying everything the Lord has said we will do and we will obey. And then these people... Entered their new promised land. They had descendants that were organized in a tribal structure, but after a while they wanted a king. And they asked God for a king. God reluctantly gave them a king through Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel. We hear about Saul and then King David and then David's son Solomon. David, though not universally regarded as being a great human being, was known as being an excellent king. And his son Solomon as well, though known in part for his greediness, also known for his wisdom and for his ability to keep the peace. These three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, ruled a united kingdom. They had David, especially David and Solomon, had good relationships with the other kings around them and surrounding nations, and they stayed as one unified kingdom, mostly at peace within itself. But with the death of Solomon, the kingdom was weakened, it split in two. We ended up with Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom, Judah, is where we get a lot of these stories of Isaiah from. The southern kingdom was weaker. The two kingdoms yearned for a united kingdom. They were vulnerable to invaders and attackers from outside. They were continually being invaded and taken over through generations of kings. And through this time they were yearning for a strong king to come unite this kingdom and bring back a sense of stability and peace. And this time of invasions and chaos is when Isaiah emerges as a prophet. He emerges in the late 8th century early 7th century before Christ. And he was a prophet who accepted his call readily unlike others. And yet he accepted a very difficult call. He accepted a call to deliver a message to the people that the people would reject. Isaiah's message to the people and to the leaders of the people, the kings of Isaiah's time, were that they were not keeping covenant, that they were failing to do justice and righteousness. And justice and righteousness has a very particular connotation in the hebrew scriptures these two words together together they carry the meaning of taking care of the weak that the strong in society should care for the weak particularly the vulnerable the widows and the orphans at that time who would have not had means to be self-supporting as part of their covenant the people were called to do justice and righteousness, to care for the weak, the leaders too. Yet they failed to keep covenant. And what Isaiah's message told them was that God's judgment was coming. And it would come in the form of an outside invader. They would get invaded and taken over. A lot of the book of Isaiah is condemnation, and judgment. It does, though, have messages of hope in it. And Isaiah 9, the sentences of scripture that we heard today, is one of those messages of hope. This, these sentences could be looked at as a royal psalm of thanksgiving to God. It is a psalm that answers the people who are waiting. It gives them hope those who are waiting for God to restore the Davidic kingdom. Well, what are they waiting for? They, we hear in Isaiah's psalm, are waiting for the oppression at the hands of outsiders to lift. They're waiting for the wars and the invasions to end. They're waiting for a child to be born who will be a leader a Deliverer. All authority will rest on his shoulders forever. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And he will bring endless peace. He will restore the nation. He will lead with justice and righteousness. This Deliverer would be both powerful and mighty, and also care for the weak. History tells us that what was expected was that a mighty warrior would come who would hold the enemy off and who would bring peace to the nation. But this person never came. The people wait and they wait and hundreds of years go by and this strong warrior they're waiting for does not come. Some people thought that this psalm applied to the birth of King Hezekiah, but he didn't really live up to the names. Who could ever really live up to these names? Well, here's where we turn to the passage from Luke 2. The very unkinglike birth of a descendant of King David who was born in a place where animals feed. And this baby grows up to do none of the expected things that a mighty warrior or a king or a prince would do. So how can he fulfill the promise? Well, what he does, this baby that grows up to be Jesus, is redefine greatness. He redefines lordship. He redefines leadership. We can hear what he has to say about this in Matthew 20, verses 24 to 28. Here Jesus calls to his disciples and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life, a ransom for many. We can know Jesus by the names in the Isaiah prophecy, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, because he came and gave his life. The power of the promise fulfilled in Christ is the paradox of the one who is the greatest of all because he is servant to all. We're in the season of Advent, and we're waiting for Christmas, waiting to remember a time when a child was born. This child, Jesus, was an unexpected kind of fulfillment to the promise because he used what we now know is the power of the mighty God To arrive humbly. And he whose kingdom is eternal lived as a servant rather than as a king. And just as Isaiah called out to the Israelites long ago to warn them that they were failing to do justice, failing to serve the weakest among them, so too the story of the tiny baby in the manger who is the mighty God, calls to us to flip our expectations on what it means to have power. As disciples, we recognize that all authority rests on Jesus, who uses that authority to serve. For us, then, as followers of Jesus, I think we are called I think we're called as people whose eyes are opened to the true nature of power and authority to expect more, to expect more out of our leadership, to not be blinded by excuses, blinded by exercise of false power. And we must look to lift up those leaders whose desire it is to serve not to be served. I think also, though, that we're called not just to expect more of our leaders, not to just call them out, but to call ourselves out, to look at what kind of leaders we are in our own spheres of influence, areas where we might have some kind of authority, at home, at work, in the communities where we live, where we go to school, to live as leaders, not just expecting to be served, but also to serve. This is something that everyone can do. I once visited a woman who was in hospice. She was homebound, unable to leave her bed, and Was literally there to be served, to be cared for. And yet, the nurses told me as I left this visit that she had had an incredible impact on their lives, that her faith as a disciple of Christ and the way that she interacted with them and shared herself with them changed their lives. She was there to serve. The good news for those of us in this time, in this place, wrestling with what does it mean to be leaders? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to serve? What should we expect out of our own nation, our own leaders? The good news is that the one who is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our eternal Father, our Prince of Peace came and is coming again. And he calls us each by name. Thanks be to God. Amen.